You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. Many people are indifferent to the good news because they don't fully understand the bad news. In other words, they don't see their need for Jesus because they don't understand how desperate their spiritual condition is apart from Jesus. And Paul highlights that desperate condition at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2. So turn there with me. We are continuing our study line by line, verse by verse, this New Testament epistle, this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians in the first century city of Ephesus. And we've made it down to chapter 2. We'll begin reading in verse 1. We'll read through Verse 3, I ask you this morning if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. In a moment I'll read and then we will pray. Um, But before we read and before we pray, I just want to say a quick word about what's going on um, in our world because we want to pray about that specifically uh, this morning. Uh, Of course, you're aware of the events going on with Ukraine and Russia and all that is happening related to that. And it's interesting, this morning in my time alone with God, I read Psalm 46. And Psalm 46 is talking about living in a time just like the one we are experiencing today. It talks about the, the mountains being cast into the heart of the sea, our world being turned upside down. It even speaks of nations raging and kingdoms tottering. In the midst of that psalm, Psalm 46, the Bible says, or the Bible reminds us that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. And it says in verse 10 that we ought to, knowing who God is, knowing that God is in control, we ought to be still and know that He is God. Now, of course, anyone... Uh, with any sensibilities, looks at the situation and is concerned, but we even feel that in a heightened way in a military community. And so we're going to pray and pray for uh, evil to be pushed back, for justice to prevail. Uh, We're going to pray for wisdom for leaders. And we're going to pray that we would trust God through it all, remember that He's in control. And ask for peace to prevail and God to bring a resolution to this all. But aren't you glad that when the mountains are cast into the heart of the sea, we have a God that we can go to and pray. And so let's read Ephesians 2 and then we'll pray and ask God to bless the preaching of his word. But I also ask God to work in this situation in our world. Look what it says there in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, 
among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of sorry, desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we pause in this moment to just recognize and to declare our need for you. Lord, as we study your word, we need you. We need you to move by your spirit that our spiritual eyes might be opened, that we would comprehend this passage and comprehend it in such a way that, that it would apply to our lives and transform us. So, Lord, have your way in our midst today. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand the desperation, the desperation of what it looks like to live life apart from Jesus with the effect that anyone in this room who is apart from Jesus would today come to Jesus. And Lord, we recognize today that there is much going on in our world. It seems like one thing after another. Very concerning news coming from Ukraine and Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Lord, as it says in Psalm 46, nations are raging, kingdoms are tottering. But I'm grateful, Lord, that you are our refuge and help in times of trouble. I'm grateful that we can be still and know that you are God. And we can ask you to move in, in powerful ways. God, we pray for peace. We pray, pray that peace would prevail. We pray, God, that you would move against evil and that justice would prevail. God, we pray for our leaders, Lord, world leaders, leaders of our country who have personnel, military personnel and other resources at their disposal. God, give them great wisdom to know what to do. Lord, give them insight. Remove unwise counsel from their ear. And put into their path wise counselors who fear you. And God, I pray that our leaders would make good, right, just decisions in these days. We pray, God, that you would watch over those serving our country. Very dangerous times. God, we pray for your protection. We pray for their physical and emotional and spiritual strength during this time. God, would you just place your hand upon our military forces. And we'll thank you, Lord, and, and praise you for that grace. God, I think of missionaries. Lord, one um, that I know personally, that we prayed for in Bible study this morning, who is, who is in that part of the world. God, keep, keep them safe. And God, I even use the tumult, use the, the chaos, God, to open up doors so that those who know you can speak of peace in Christ. Lord, I pray for our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine. Pastors and seminaries and local churches. God, I pray that you would work in such a way that their light would shine brightly during this time. That even in the midst of the uncertainty, they would have many opportunities to point people to the God who saves through His Son, Jesus Christ. God, use this ultimately for good. And we'll thank you for it. 
We ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. The reason that so many are indifferent to the good news is they don't fully understand, they don't fully comprehend the bad news. And here in Ephesians, after Paul has spent an entire chapter reminding us of all that is ours in Christ, he makes a statement in in three verses about what our life looks like apart from Christ. He's really describing in these three verses what our life was like before we were saved. And he's describing those who are not saved, what their life is like right now. And and what Paul is doing in in verses 1 through 3, before he gets to the grace of God and the love of God and the mercy of God and all that God has done in Christ to save us, he wants them to understand, the, 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 the listeners in Ephesus, he wants them to understand just how badly we need a Savior. Just how badly we need uh, Jesus. Now look what it says there in verse 1. He says, you, speaking of the Christians in Ephesus, in that church in Ephesus, before they were saved, he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He makes a a declaration about their spiritual condition. He uses the word trespasses, which means to fall aside, to get off the right path. And he uses the word sins, which means to miss the mark of, of perfection, to miss the mark of righteousness. And, and Paul reminds us over in Romans 3 that all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. All have missed the mark. All have trespassed and gotten off the right path. And he's saying, before you were saved, because of your sin, because of your trespasses, because of your rebellion against God, because of your disobedience, you were separated from God. And therefore, you were not bad off. You were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and your sins. So he declares their spiritual condition. And then he describes their spiritual condition in verses 2 and 3. So again, what we're going to look at is the the, the past condition of believers before they met Christ and the present condition of everyone else. Everyone in this room falls into one of two categories. You are either a follower of Jesus, you've been born again, you've been redeemed, you've been saved by the grace of God, or you are far from God, far from Christ, lost in your sins, spiritually dead. And and this passage describes what that is like. So I want to give you three answers to this question this morning. How badly do we need Jesus? How badly do we need Jesus? Jesus. This is important to consider. First of all, think about the environment in which we live. The environment in which we live. Look what he says there in verse 1. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Notice that phrase, following the course of this world or the ways of this world. The word world there is the word cosmos. And it's used in different ways in the New Testament. Sometimes it's used to refer to all the people in the world. We sang a song this morning based upon John 3.16. For God so loved the world. The same word there in John 3.16 is cosmos. It means all the people of the world. God so loved the world. He loved you. He loved me. He loves everyone because he sent his son for everyone. But that's not the way... This this word cosmos is used in this context. Here, the word world refers to the ungodly people 
systems and value that exert continual influence on us. That's the environment in which we live. Ungodly people, systems, and values are exerting continual influence on us. And here's the way the world works. Saturation is the method and conformity is the goal. Let me say that again. Saturation is the method and conformity is the goal. The way the world works is the ungodly systems, values, and people constantly bombard us with their ungodly messages, their ungodly values, their ungodly ways. And the reason that we are bombarded with those things is because the world, the ungodly, want us to conform to those ways. Over in Romans 12, Paul knew this was a, a constant danger. He said, in view of the mercies of God, that we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind rather than being conformed to this world. That word conformed in Romans 12 means to be, means to be pressed into a mold. And this world, this ungodly world, is always trying to press us into its mold, its, its way of doing things, its way of living life, its way of thinking about life. Saturation is the method, and conformity is the goal. And I don't know if you've noticed or not, but the world is very good at saturation. The world is very good at this, very good at, at getting its messages across. Now, if we could summarize the message of the world, ungodly people, systems, and values, if we could summarize that message, how would we summarize? I'm going to give you three answers to that question, three ways I would summarize the message. Now, this is not exhaustive. There are more things we could say, but I think these are three prominent uh, parts of the message of this world. First of all, self. The message of the world is self. It's, it's all about you. The world tells you and tells me it's all about us. So we should do whatever we want to do. The world revolves around us. And, and thinking of ourselves should drive the decisions we make. The way we enter into relationships. The way we treat other people. We should put self first. And that is a message of the world. You see, pride and envy originate in the pursuit of self-interest. And as long as we are are focused primarily and first upon self and not upon the things of God, not upon the will of God, not upon the ways of God, not on others, serving others. As long as we are focused on self, then pride and envy will dominate our lives. And we're being encouraged to live that way by this world. Philip Yancey writes this, The entire planet shudders at the result of our attempts to make ourselves and not God the center of existence. What, what's happening right now in Europe is the attempt of some to make themselves and not God the center of existence. The entire planet shudders. And so the world tells you, focus on you. It's all about you. You come first. You define reality. You define right or wrong. It's all about you. It's a message of self. Secondly, it's a message about stuff. Stuff. Materialism sounds more refined, but the S works better with self. 
stuff. In other words, the world world tells you that you'll reach a place of contentment, you'll reach a place of happiness, you'll reach a place of satisfaction if you just have the stuff you want. And if you get more stuff, the happier you will be. Now, Jesus talked often of this. His concern over the seductive power of greed shows in the fact that one-sixth of his sayings in the gospel center on money and its effects. Think about that. One-sixth of what Jesus talked about in his gospel teaching was money and how it affects us. He said things like, you can't serve God and money at the same time. One's got to come first. And if God doesn't come first, if money is your God, it will destroy you. He even shared a parable about a man that acquired much grain. He was a farmer and he acquired much grain and he thought, I need bigger barns to store all this grain. So he built bigger barns and acquired more grain and grew more grain. He was very successful. He was very wealthy and he he sat back and thought, boy, I'm doing great. Look at my holdings. Look at my farm. Look at my barns. I've got Grain overflowing more than enough. I'm doing great. And Jesus said, you fool. This night your soul is required of you. And he says, what will it profit a man? Listen, if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul. Jesus knew that this message of stuff that the world is bombarding us with is a message that will causes us to lose sight of what's most important. Because if we buy into that message, we will spend our lives pursuing the wrong things, listen, with the wrong priorities. And we get to the end of this life, and stand before God, we'll say, I wasted my life pursuing stuff, and only stuff. So, the pursuit of material possessions offers glittering, short-term satisfaction, but it obscures the real purpose of living. And so I would say this world's message is about self, and it's about stuff, and third, it's about sex. It's about sex, and, and that won't go real detailed here, but I don't think I need to convince you that based upon social media, based upon uh, TV, movies, commercials, Magazine covers. I don't think I have to convince you that this world is trying to get a message across that promotes immoral living. Would you agree with that? Do I have to convince you of that? It's everywhere. It's everywhere. And here's what's happened. And it's happened in my life. It's happened in your life. We are so bombarded with these, these charged images that we've become desensitized. And we will watch a show that that portrays things that would have been unthinkable to be on TV 60 years ago. Like would have just been shocking and shut down the airwaves. Now we watch and we consume and we enjoy and we've been desensitized. Things that used to be shocking are no longer shocking. We think, well, that's just the way things are. Why? The world is bombarding us with those images and with promises of satisfaction in those kinds of lifestyles. But here's the deal. God designed intimacy between a man and a woman 
to be enjoyed in the confines of loving marriage between a man and a woman. That's how God designed it, Genesis chapter 2. And those boundaries are good boundaries. It's like a fireplace. If you put logs in a fireplace and and light the fire and it's in the boundaries of the fireplace, it'll give off warmth, it'll give off light. There's nothing like a warm fire on a cold night. But if that fire gets out of the confines of the fire, if it gets out of the boundaries, it'll, it'll burn the house down. And the world is telling us, disregard God's boundaries. Intimacy between one man and one woman in the boundaries of marriage. The the world's saying, disregard that. And and do what you want to do. Chase satisfaction in other ways. And those pursuits eventually destroy lives. And suck spiritual life from people. Listen to me. I want to say this as clearly as I can. You cannot pursue Jesus and sexual immorality at the same time. It's just not going to happen. You can't do both. You can't do both. And, and, and to, to, to get this point across about, about how inundated we are, did you know that the, the industry of pornography brings in more money every year than all professional sports combined in our nation? Rampant. Destroying lives. Burning lives down. When God designed it to be a good thing. In the loving covenant boundaries of marriage. So this idea of self and and stuff and and, and sex. This message of the world is is exactly what John writes in 1 John 2 verses 15 and 16. Listen to what he says. Do not love the world. The ungodly systems and values being pushed upon us. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, that's sexual fulfillment, the lust of the eyes, that's stuff, and the boastful pride of life, that's self, is not from the Father, but is from the world. I can tell you this, a preeminent focus on self and stuff and sex is not of God. It's the world. It's the message that we are being bombarded with. And, 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 and Paul says in Ephesians 2, that, that's the way that you used to walk. Walk speaks of your manner of living. You walked following the course of this world. You were walking in the ways of this world. In other, way, in other words, before we were Christians, our lives were shaped more by ungodly people and values than by Christ. Those values kept our thinking away, our heart away from considering God's call on our life. There's a second second answer to this question. Why do we need Jesus so badly? I would say the environment in which we live, this world. But secondly, the enemy we face. Look what it says in verse 2. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of... Of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. This this phrase, the prince of the power of the air, speaking of the devil, Satan. He's the one that has been given uh, temporary, uh, temporary power over this world and the things of this world. And he is real and he is at work. The devil. 
is real. You know his name, Satan. You know what, you know what the word Satan means? Satan means adversary. Listen to me. Come, I want you to focus, everybody focus in on me. Satan is your enemy. Now listen, I'm not done, listen. He hates you. He hates your marriage. He hates your children. Buckle up for this one. He hates your grandchildren. He hates your church. He hates your pastor and staff. He hates your community. He hates truth. He, thinks, he hates things that are good and pure and right and just. The Bible says the devil is a roaring lion, 1 Peter 5, a roaring lion seeking those whom he can devour. Make no mistake about it, the devil is your enemy. And he is opposed to us. And it says there that his spirit there in verse uh, 2, or you could translate it, his attitude is what is at work in the sons of disobedience. Those who are unsaved are under, listen, under the sway, under the influence of Satan himself. Now, a person who's unsaved may not know that. They're just doing their thing. But people who are unsaved and, and, and keeping God at arm's length and really ignoring the things of God, Satan has them right where he wants them. And his goal is utter destruction. So how does he work? Well, temptation is his method. Destruction is the goal. In Matthew 4... Three, Satan is called the tempter. It's a title given to him. So it's obviously the way that he works. He tempted Adam and Eve. The first sin back in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. He led Adam and Eve astray. Lied to them. Misled them. Twisted God's word so that they would do something God told them not to do. And sin entered the world and has had devastating effects to this day. Satan even had the audacity to tempt Jesus himself. Now, if you think that Satan won't tempt you, you are way off base. If Satan tempted Jesus, I guarantee you he's going to tempt you too. And tempt me too. So he's a tempter. And he's called the father of lies in John 8. So he will use deceit and cunning to lure you into destructive behavior. That's what Satan does. And he's been doing it for thousands of years, and, and, and he's good at it. He's good at luring you, tempting you. I love to fish. I don't fish near as much as I want to, but I love to fish. And there was a time in my life I was really into bass fishing and and, you know, bass fishing, you had to have the right lure for the right situation. And you want to know the water depth and the structure underneath and what fish were biting. And, and, and the goal was that whatever the, the, the context was, that you pick the right lure that would cause a, a big largemouth bass to bite. That was the goal. And Satan 
is looking at our lives, figuring out the context, and he knows how to pick very effective lures to get you to bite. And the lure that works for you may not work for me. He's cunning. He knows the right lure to pick. So we've got to be aware of the enmity of Satan. Before we met Christ, the Bible says we were under his influence in ways we couldn't even understand. So there is the environment in which we live. There's the enemy that we encounter. How badly do we need Jesus? Number three, there is the enticement from within. Look what Paul says back in chapter 2 of Ephesians. He says, We used to follow the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, biting his lure, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. In other words, there was a time we were sons of disobedience before we met Christ, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Notice there he mentions that we lived according to the passions, epithumia, which means the, the, the ardent passions, the fervent passions of the flesh. Passions that were driven by our flesh. Now what does the word flesh mean? In this context, the word flesh refers to the sin nature that we are all born with. When Adam and Eve sinned in in Genesis chapter 3, sin entered the world. And everyone that was born from Adam and Eve and on up to our day was born with a sin nature other than Christ who was born of a virgin named Mary. That's why we sin. We have a sin nature. In fact, look what he says there in verse 3 carrying out the desires of the body, the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, opposed to God under his condemnation. That's who we are apart from Christ. We have strong desires, strong passions that are driven by, that are informed by our sin nature. And here's how the flesh works. Desire is the method, gratification is the goal. Our flesh, listen, wants what it wants. And the flesh will keep pulling you and tugging in the direction it wants until you give in. And the flesh is gratified. The word flesh is the subjunctive genitive here, which means it's it's the source of the desires. The desires spring from the flesh. In other words, listen, we don't become liars when we lie. We lie because we're liars. We lie because we have a sin nature. I mean, think about it. Even cute little kids at a very early age learn to manipulate mom and dad, don't they? My kids did it when they were little. Did you get what they want? Even little babies. And I never sat down with my kids and said, hey, I want to teach you today how to manipulate mom and dad. We never had a manipulation teaching. It just came what? Naturally. And we all have that issue. We have a sin nature. And that's the reason that we sin. James 1, 13 and 15 says it like this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. 
that which is within. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. I mean, think about it. When you and I walk by a sign that says, do not touch wet paint, what do we want to do? There's something in us that just has this, this rebellion, this, this desire to do the wrong thing. It's our, it's our sin nature. I mean, Flip Wilson was famous for saying, the devil made me do it. But I want you to understand that the devil made me do it does not always apply. Sometimes we sin and do what we want to do and the devil has nothing to do with it. He's just watching and cheering us on. It's our sin nature. Before we met Christ, when we were controlled by the lust of the flesh, we were by nature children of wrath, objects of God's condemning judgment, worthy of eternal punishment. And so these three verses remind us of what humanity is up against. There is the environment in which we live, there is the enemy we face, and there is the enticement from within, the sin nature which drives all of our lives. We have the world, the devil, and the flesh working together in tandem, leading us to destruction. Now you say, Pastor Wade, that's bad news. It's kind of a, uh, kind of a dis- disturbing sermon here today. Well, listen to me. When we understand how bad the bad news is, then we are ready to embrace and celebrate the good news. Look back in this passage. I want to show you one really cool verse. Verse 1, Paul says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins, watch this, in which you once walked. That's past tense. He's saying that's who you were, but you're not that anymore. In other words, he's writing to people that have been born again. People that have embraced Christ as their Lord and Savior. People that have been forgiven and redeemed and brought into new life by Christ's resurrection power. He said, that's the way that you used to walk, but not anymore. So here's the takeaway thought, and and we're going to pray and finish. Jesus raises us up from spiritual death. Can I get an amen on that? Thank you for that amen. I heard a a little voice saying amen. Maybe it can teach some of the adults to amen more. But anyway. World flesh devil. We're dead. Unable to save ourselves. But aren't you glad that God sent his only son who came to this earth lived a perfect life, died on the cross to pay the penalty that we deserve to pay. And then after he was buried early on the third day, he rose from the grave and he's mighty to save. And when we place our faith and trust in him alone, he takes someone who is dead and he makes them alive. He raises them up. He he makes them new. He saves them. He redeems them. Amen? It's good news. If you're a Christian... There was a time when you were under the conforming pattern of this world 
under the sway of Satan himself and unable to conquer your inner sinful desires? You were dead, but Christ has made you alive. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, wait a minute, Pastor Wade. I'm a Christian, but I still live in this old world. I'm still being bombarded by messages. The devil still out there trying to lure me and get me to do the wrong thing. And my old sin nature is still there. I mean, I've been made a brand new person. I've been given the Spirit of God, but I still feel this battle within me. There's the Spirit of God leading me one way and the, the old sinful nature leading me the other way. There's this war, Paul says in Romans 7, happening on the inside. So I'm a Christian, but I'm still dealing with these enemies, these enemies of the soul. So what do you have to say about that? Here's what I have to say. If you are a Christian, you've been forgiven of everything you ever will do or or everything you have done. You've been forgiven of it all. And now God himself resides in you. And here's what happens. In an ever-increasing way, God begins to change you. So you begin to have, listen, victory over the world and victory over Satan and victory over the flesh. That's good, isn't it? And one day when we get to heaven, guess what? No more ungodly messages. No more ungodly values. When we get to heaven, Satan won't be there. He'll be in the eternal lake of fire. When we get to heaven, our sin nature, our old flesh will be eradicated and we'll be with Jesus forever. That's that's where we're headed. So for the Christian, there is victory in the here and now in an ever-increasing way. And there's ultimate victory over the world, over the devil, over the flesh. Victory in Jesus. But understand, understand how badly you need Him. And if you're a Christian, rejoice. You were dead, now you're alive. You were Defeated, now you're victorious, you were helpless, now you are strong in Christ. Rejoice in the Savior who rescues us from these three enemies of the soul. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.